This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Joining us now from the Denver Gazette is their Broncos reporter, Chris Thomason. You can follow Chris, Chris Thomason on Twitter. And Chris, thank you for joining us. It's always good to talk to you. The Broncos getting ready to start the Sean Payton era against their historic rivals, the arch rivals, perhaps the Raiders. Although, you know, I have to say Raiders, you can't say Oakland Raiders or LA Raiders or Las Vegas, just Raiders. We get it. But the, the main worry for, I think, Broncos fans coming into the season may have been injuries. And although they certainly have had their share of injuries at this point, it does appear that they're coming into this game at least on the right track when it comes to health, right? Yeah. The, for all, first of all, thanks for having me. The only player who is in jeopardy at this point in um, starting or, or whether he might not play is uh, Jerry Judy. I mean, he obviously two weeks ago today in a joint practice with the Rams hurt his hamstring. He's been practicing the last couple days on a limited basis. He talked to reporters in the locker room today and, you know, basically said he's getting better. And uh, he said ultimately it would be his decision whether he plays Sunday because it's his body. But, you know, we'll see whose decision it really Uh, is. Yes. (laughs) Uh, It won't be 100% Jerry Judy's decision. Yeah, everybody knows how hamstrings are, and if you come back too early, you might re-injure and miss five weeks. The Raiders have beaten the Broncos every time they played in in this decade so far. There have been multiple occasions in which the Raiders seem to be in disarray more so than the Broncos heading into a matchup that they've eventually won. There's a lot of chaos compared to what you just said about the Broncos uh, being relatively healthy. Uh, The Raiders and Chandler Jones certainly don't seem to be on the same page. Uh, it's a new quarterback, not Derek Carr, the quarterback who's been in action for the Raiders each of the time, uh, times during the 20s when they beat the Broncos. Uh, the Broncos are favorites, and I understand they've been favorites against the Raiders in the past uh, three years or so, and they haven't beaten them. But isn't, of all the teams you could be playing, maybe with the exception of Arizona, isn't this the team of all the other teams in the National Football League you'd most like to be playing right now? Going into your opener, it really sets up beautifully for the Broncos, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, it's an excellent point you make. Jimmy Garoppolo, first game at quarterback, so right. who knows what to expect from him after playing with San Francisco. And you mentioned Chandler Jones. I mean, that has been a distraction this week, no <laughs> doubt. Think? Yeah. So, yeah, for the Raiders, and uh, meanwhile, you know, I asked a couple of players about Chandler Jones today, and they're kind of like, well, you know, we've seen him on tape. We'll just go against whoever shows up. And uh, Josh McDaniels, uh, who is uh, under a 400 career coaching winning percentage, is the head coach of the Raiders. True. So uh, the odds are that Mr. McDaniels is going to lose more games than he wins. And that's been the trend. So, yeah, it's, um, it's you know, even with Judy's injury, I mean, this is a good foe to open up yes. the season, no doubt. 
So for the Broncos now, there's no must-win games on a season opener. But if, if the objective is, essentially, as Sean Payton said, he said he'd be upset if they didn't make the playoffs, you, you start charting pathways through a schedule and try to figure out where you realistically need to get wins and need to get losses. This is definitely one of them. And in the early going, it's definitely one of them. How important is it for this team to get a fast start under a new head coach to start building confidence for later in the season? Oh, it's definitely important. A lot of teams, what they kind of did was when there was a 16-game schedule, it was easy to do, so you kind of divide up the schedule into fourths, you know, four four-game segments. There's 17 games now, of course, but going back to that thinking, I mean, look at this four-game segment to start the season. Three of the four are very winnable. Las Vegas, Washington next week. Miami playing in the humidity in week three down in South tough. Florida will be tough. But And then you go to Chicago, winnable. Right. So, right. you know, I think they have to be at the very least two and two. I mean, uh, three and one for them would be fantastic. But you can't go one and three with uh-huh. that sort of schedule uh-huh. with the meat of the schedule coming up. Uh, you can't. And uh, I want to shift the focus to the defense for a second, uh, we've talked a lot about what the defense did and what it didn't do last year and how the defense uh, was, yes, a, a good defense, maybe even a very good defense, but also that defense was primarily responsible for giving up 51 points to the lowly Los Angeles Rams and Baker Mayfield on Christmas Day last December. But through 11 weeks last year, it was the number two defense in the NFL and expected points added per play allowed. That's really good. And I know you weren't here last year, and Vance Joseph wasn't here last year either. But my sense is that the Broncos think, and many of the players who still are here and were a part of that defense, believes they can be for 18 weeks what they were last year for 11, 12, 13 weeks. Yeah, overall, it was a solid defense. Uh, you know, the overall stats were skewed by that disaster showing on Christmas Day that you yes. made note of. I mean, I asked George Payton before the draft when they went out, they'd gone out and signed nine outside offensive free agents and only one at the time on defense, Zach Allen. And he pretty much said, hey, we got a good defense. We've got a foundation. I mean, they've had some injuries since then and and what have you, but I think it's still a solid, you know, upper half of the NFL, certainly type defense. So, uh, yeah, and the offense, I mean, we know it was disastrous last year. It should be better. How much better will remain to be seen, but the defense at least has to be as good, if not better, than it was last year. Part of that is going to involve a pass rush. Vance Joseph has said that this is the, the best pass rush, edge rushing room yeah. he'd ever had before. And I found that interesting because uh, if you're talking about, as John Payton says, confidence is demonstrated uh, production, you're talking about a group that hasn't actually produced consistently at the NFL level. And the expectation is if this is going to be a good pass rushing group, multiple players will have to be able to produce at levels in which we have never seen them produce before. And some of the veterans will have to find a way to uh, maybe turn back the clock a little bit. When you're talking about Randy Gregory and Frank Clark, uh, Baron Browning, when he gets healthy, 
uh, talking about Allen. You're talking about a, a bunch of different players that need to step up. Is it realistic to expect more than two or three of these guys to have career years? Is that even too much to expect? Well, the key is they obviously have to stay healthy. I mean, you mentioned Darren Browning already is hurt, and he's, you know, from what I've heard ahead of schedule, though, and uh, he has to miss at least the first four games. So he could be back in the mix, you know, before the midseason mark. But Randy Gregory, I mean, anytime you ask anybody about him, and including Sean Payton a few weeks ago, said, well, the key is he has to stay healthy. Yes. And then you've got Frank Clark, who just turned 30. How much does he have left? Right. We'll see. But, uh, you know, he needs to stay healthy as well. I talked to him a little bit today for an article that's soon going to go up, you know, about the thumb injury that he had, which bogged him down in training camp. So, uh, yeah, we'll have health is the key for all those guys. Uh, Inevitably, we get back to Russell Wilson, and I know he will be scrutinized. We will certainly be doing it ourselves, but I'm wondering, since you weren't here last year, you're probably a good person to ask about this. Won't it be about more than the numbers, whether they're good, bad, or indifferent? Won't it be about more than just numbers with Russell Wilson? Uh, it, to me, it's about the relationship he has with Sean Payton and even to an extent with Joe Lombardi, the new offensive coordinator. Payton and Lombardi have worked together before, but they've never worked with Russell Wilson, and Russell Wilson has never worked with either one of them before. Uh, do we look just at the stats and judge Wilson uh, on the merits of his statistical production, uh, how that compares with other quarterbacks, or are there other things that are at least as important to look at when it comes to Russell Wilson? Well, I think for him it's going to come down to wins and losses, and that's pretty much what the deal was in Seattle. Obviously, he led him to a Super Bowl win, and they should have had a second Super Bowl win. But And he made nine Pro Bowls in ten years, but you know, he never had those super crazy, gaudy stats. He wasn't throwing for 50 TDs, right. maybe like Tom Brady or Patrick Mahomes. He wasn't throwing for 5,000 yards, which Drew Brees did four times in New Orleans. He didn't have those crazy, gaudy stats. Of course, he had some good running stats, but he was still regarded as one of the better NFL quarterbacks, and one of the main reasons for that was because it was one loss record. The improved performance in a new Sean Payton offense, how quickly should we expect things to come around? Obviously, uh, Sandy's talked about it. Uh, we talked about it during the break before he came on. That you know, Make of it what you will, but this is three different offensive systems in three years for Russell Wilson. How quickly can we expect to see a noticeable change in his play? Can it, can it happen as soon as Sunday? Well, two things on that. Yeah, it's going to take a little bit of time to get fully ingrained with the new offensive system. But then again, you're going against a not great Raiders defense exactly. and a Raiders defense that might not have Chandler Jones. Yep. So if he doesn't look at least uh, you know, somewhat decent, this Sunday against the Raiders, there's probably cause for concern. Uh, 
When it comes to uh, the wide receiver position, we were all saying in our infinite wisdom a couple of weeks ago, I, I exclude you, I know, Sean and I were saying, <laughs> oh, they'll never go into the season with four wide receivers. Um, they apparently are going into the season with four wide receivers. Uh, how do you see that playing out on Sunday? My immediate thought, and I'd like to know whether you agree or not, is that we may not only see a lot of two tight ends, we may see a fair amount of three tight ends in the absence of uh, a couple of receivers. Uh, well, at least one. I know the Broncos are planning on getting back here in the next two or three weeks. Yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point there with the tight ends, especially since you have, you know, Greg Gillich, you know, good receiving type tight end who's almost wide receiver like. Uh, but really, they're going in if Judy can't play with three wide receivers. But you know, yeah, yeah got guys, that's right. That's right. It's even worse than four. We we were squad, right. So. It wasn't four. It turns out to be three. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, they've got guys in the practice squad. Little Jordan Humphrey. Yeah. No, oh, I understand that. System. He was a leading yeah. receiver during the preseason, so I would think he would be first in line to be elevated off the practice squad. I don't know how much those other guys have gotten up to speed. You know, Philip Dorsett's a veteran, and uh, he's played with Russell Wilson before. I talked to him the other day, and he said the primary reason he came to Denver was to play with uh, Russell Wilson again. So he's got uh, a practice report, I should say. He caught one pass in two Seattle seasons. Right. And it wasn't no. even uh, he didn't play Wilson with him a lot in games. No. But, but there's some familiarity there that Dorsett has with Wilson. The Broncos under Peyton. We, we, we had, I think you probably read it as well. We certainly had him join us yesterday. Seth Wickersham had a very interesting portrait of, of Sean Payton and his particular uh, career goals about making the Hall of Fame, something that he thinks about a tremendous uh, amount of time, and the idea that the league kind of has it in for him. Over the time that you've spent in this early going, have you gotten the impression that that impacts the way that he approaches anything on the field? Or do the players get that vibe? Or is this something that's sort of separated from Sean Payton, the coach? Well, you've heard some digs uh, about, like, officiating and things of that nature. Yeah. I mean, uh, gambling the San Francisco as well. game, the, yeah, the right gambling, that's a good point there the San Francisco game where he took several digs at the officiating and saying the officials are uh, in preseason mode with that play, like right at the end of the half uh, related to Jalen Virgil. So yeah, he um, he's going to take his digs. And I mean, a lot of it probably stems back to, Bounty Gate, no doubt. I mean, sure. Spent well, almost all of it. 2012 season, and I'm sure he feels that. Uh, and the Nola no you know, call. That, that and the, the no call. Greg Williams the... was the guy, you know, doing yeah. the defense and doing all that stuff. So he probably feels that he that was unfair and soiled his reputation. Yeah, well, it definitely sold it, soiled his reputation, but uh, there was also the Nola no call, uh, which I think has sharpened his suspicion of officiating and the, and the idea that uh, maybe he's being singled out or his team's being singled out. But the important uh, part of the piece with Wickersham, I thought on that point was that it, 
the reason he found the Denver job attractive was because Denver is an iconic, quote-unquote, NFL franchise in a way that New Orleans probably never will be. Well, we'll have to uh, ask me in four years. I guess one of the things in that article is they researched a four-year run and determined that the Saints uh, were like 30th and 31st in the league and that sort of thing. And And last. In In drawing penalties. In drawing penalties. Yeah, yeah, so... uh, Give me a call in four years, yeah. and I'll see, <laughs> we'll see how if the, the Broncos goes ranked the in Broncos. the lower third of the league or the bottom three of the league, which was true with the Saints from 18 through 21 in all four years. Bottom three, absolutely. Chris, mm-hmm. uh, last one for you here. Obviously, as they get into the opener, this is a whole new uh, era of football for the Denver Broncos, but it really is a critical one. This They are the uh, tied with the Jets for the longest string of seasons now without a postseason appearance this year seems to be a particularly difficult landscape for it when you look at the way that that this team gets going and i guess we'll just focus on this first month of football how important is it let's even take away the wins and the losses if the, if those when no matter how they turn out what do you need to see from the denver broncos to believe they're back on the right track well, obviously, they have to have a vastly improved offense. The offense last year was atrocious, and you're bringing in a coach who's been labeled an offensive genius, so uh, he needs to uh, show definite strides on offense, and we'll have to see what happens record-wise. I mean, you know, maybe they lose some close games, but uh, might be better for Sean Payton to lose 35 to 34 than 11 to 10. Uh, you, you were That's talking about last year's 11 to 10 game, which point. they actually they won, won but still. And it's right. the only 11 to 10 game one, but... in the history of the NFL. No other game has ended 11 to 10, save for that one. And they did win That's that bad. one. That was one of the highlights, which, as you point out, not that much uh, of a highlight. It, it <laughs> indicates what a bad year it was. That, yeah, that was the 49ers game. I did it watch the that. the 49ers game. And they, yes. and they pulled it out. It was a they did really pull it out. scintillating win oh, by the Broncos. Oh, of course. <laughs> Couldn't <laughs> turn away from it. Here's Chris Thomason. Make sure you give him a follow on Twitter. Chris Thomason with the Denver Gazette covering the Denver Broncos who will make their debut on Sunday down at uh, Mile High with the, under that enormous new scoreboard. Uh, so the Broncos obviously want a good performance on there in their opening game. Uh, make sure you follow Chris for all the latest. Thanks so much, Chris. Appreciate it. And uh, happy football season. We're through. We're actually uh, through all the, the uh, other stuff and actually can start talking about games. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks so much, Chris Thomason, joining us. The, the, the offense. The, the, the Broncos did enjoy one distinction last year. Mm-hmm. Their Sunday night game for the 49ers, right. the 11-10 to game, was the worst Sunday night game of the season by far. And their Thursday night game with the Colts, also here, was the worst Thursday night game of the year. <laughs> and that's it's hard to be the worst Thursday night game of the year because about 80% of the Thursday night games aren't worth a spit and aren't worth the time spent watching but they had the worst sunday night game and the worst thursday night game but at least they won the sunday night. Uh, yeah at least hey 
least at least they won one of them. You're right. Uh, obviously, that's, they, that's a low one. bar, and the Broncos look to clear that by a, quite a bit. The number is 303-831-1340. Let me know what you think as well. We'll take a look at this Broncos team as they get ready for their season opener next on Miley Sports. Now more with Sandy Clough and Sean Trotar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. This is Sandy and Sean on Mile High Sports. Earlier in the program, we talked about how Russell Wilson may have to learn as he ages, he turns 35 during the course of the season, to be more of the quote-unquote dreaded game manager. I say mm-hmm. dreaded because that's the way people talk about it, but if you actually look at game managers, they win a lot of football games. They, they The way we talk about game management is uh, it's, it's considered to be something of an insult. The truth of the matter is what we're talking about when we say game manager is someone who doesn't make mistakes that costs you the game, that has the ball on time and on target where they're supposed to be, and doesn't terribly go off script a lot who's who's the quarterback who comes to mind when you think of a game manager who actually is a much better quarterback than he's given credit for i i I have one immediately that that, that at least sort of got that uh that sort of derisive label i'm i i look at much better than before i don't know i look at the that and think when i hear the word game manager i think of the the label that people really think of it as poor i look at say a, a trent dilfer who with the Ravens won a Super Bowl, but I, I think you're talking but about he quarterbacks. Very good. Right. <laughs> quarterbacks are better than that. I, I think there are quite a few of them, quite frankly. That Oh, uh, I, I, I'm sure there are, but there's yeah. one guy who, who do you particularly have in mind? comes to mind, Kirk Cousins. Yeah. I mean, they do win a lot. They rack up a lot and, of stats, and, and they and, win a lot and, of games. And, and one of the Kirk Cousins is a great point. They went 13-4 and four last year, and they're great one of the point. teams that people say, look at what happened in the playoffs. They lost to the Giants, who, who went nine and eight good touchdown interception win a lot of games you know they won't win 13 games this year and you know they probably won't but i I, i've heard that and heard that and heard that like they'll go four and 13 you know i've heard it so much and you know what they're pretty good and i know he's 35 i think they'll be hovering around i think people underestimate him a little bit and I think you can win a Super Bowl with him. I understand you won't mm-hmm. win because of him. Hey, look, if you but can put him up with Dilfer, managers go, and he'll have to be a little more than a game manager uh, this year because, uh, you know, some of the guys there who have been key guys aren't there anymore. We're talking about a, a hypothetical. We know that. Namely, Dalvin Cook. Yeah. We know that at, at one point when before Kirk Cousins got to Minnesota, that Kirk Cousins and Kyle Shanahan both wanted to work together. They did. both saw each other as, as pretty darn good fits. Had that been able to be accomplished, I don't think it's an immense leap. I know it's hypothetical. I think that the Niners might have won a Super Bowl by now. They might have, and that's that's kind of my point. Um, you know. Uh, the 49ers went 40 and 17 
or, or close to that with Jimmy Garoppolo. He and, had a, he, he, and I he will argue that Cousins is, a, is a better Brady quarterback than Jimmy Garoppolo but, but, by some measure. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I, I think Garoppolo is a, is a tier three guy. I actually think Cousins, if he's not tier two, he's right at the top of tier three. He's right at the and tier three is where you find most of the quote unquote game managers. And I think Cousins, among others in that tier three group, is a little bit more than that. And I think he tends to get shortchanged. And every time they lose, I think he gets more of the blame. And when they win, I don't think he gets enough of the credit. And I get it. He's thrown to Justin Jefferson, who by acclamation is the best receiver in football. He does have weapons, but and he's not the most mobile guy but in the he's, world. But he's put up those but numbers for a while now, even before Justin Jefferson. In putting up excellent Then he's had one year, one year under 4,000 yards since the 2015 season. So he's been doing this before Jefferson. In fact, he's gotten pretty when, consistent. When uh, was the last time the Broncos had a 4,000-yard quarterback? Peyton Manning. 2014, Yeah, I believe. That's nine years ago. Right. So does it, well, so everybody throws for 4,000 yards. Bronco quarterbacks don't, nope. including Peyton Manning no, in 2015. No, they do not. And that that part of it for Wilson, maybe making that adjustment, not saying he needs to be that guy, but you have to learn how to pick your spots. And I think that's what Sean Payton and Joe Lombardi and Davis Webb, the new quarterbacks coach, and Russell Wilson have to find a way to do that, because for aging quarterbacks, this is the reality. Peyton Manning, as you brought up earlier, had to go through that. And he begrudgingly did so, because, yes. look, Father yeah, Time's undefeated. By by the playoffs, perhaps given the chance to sit back and watch for a few weeks, um, he was fine coming in, much as he did against the Chargers in the third quarter of the regular season finale with a number one seed on the line. And... He managed that game perfectly, and he took advantage of his strengths. The Broncos were in chaos in the first half and into the third quarter in that game. They were turning the ball over left and right. Play calls were coming in muddled. Uh, Osweiler was flustered, and I think that's the main reason Kubiak took him out because he thought he had gotten rattled. He was fighting with Greg Knapp on the sideline. He wasn't really fighting with Knapp, but he was complaining to Knapp that the plays weren't coming in on time or they were coming in muddled. And Manning came in, and whether the plays came in muddled or not didn't matter a whit to Peyton Manning. You were going to run what he wanted to run. And if it was a play he wanted to run, fine. And if it came in garbled, either he translated or he said, we're not going to run that. Whatever that means, we're not running it. We're running this. And that's where Peyton Manning had the edge over Brock Osweiler. And over even in his final year in the NFL, this side of maybe, and I say maybe, Tom Brady, Peyton Manning had it all over, even in his last year in the NFL, intellectually had it all over any other quarterback in the NFL. And when he realized, hey, nine touchdowns and 17 interceptions during the regular season, that ain't going to get it done in the playoffs. No. Uh, I, he threw at least one interception in every regular season game he played in in 2015. By the playoffs, I think he threw one interception in three games. 
The, and it was totally harmless. Yeah, and, and you and I have talked to many players on that team, and you know, there's been this sort of the idea that, oh, they would have won it with Brock Osweiler. Well, his contemporaries don't think so. Most of the players well, I talked to felt rather yes confident no. yeah, yes that no. by I, audibling into the right play against a much better Carolina John defense Elway, than it looked who, in that Super Bowl. Right. John Elway, who didn't really prove out to be a great Brock Osweiler fan, thought they could have won with Brock and disagreed with Gary Kubiak's decision to take Osweiler out of the last game of the regular season, we'll never know. No. We'll never, ever I know. I have my suspicions. And however. I think the very fact that Brock Osweiler was not given that chance um, had an effect on Brock Osweiler psychologically that he never got over, even before he got with a coach who he couldn't stand and couldn't stand him. And that coach, of course, is Bill O'Brien, who now is charged with responsibility in New England of fixing Mac Jones, who looked like a star two years ago and looked like a bum last year. And, of course, the bigger bums might have been the two guys who had never coached offense, who for some unknown reason Bill Belichick decided to name co-offensive coordinators. They're both gone now. Uh, Bill O'Brien's back, and maybe Bill O'Brien can do for Mac Jones what he obviously couldn't do for Brock Osweiler. Russell Wilson threw for 16 touchdowns and 11 interceptions last year. Uh, not that disastrous as it was in Peyton's last year, but definitely nowhere near his expectations. Peyton Manning had an opportunity to speak to yes. Pat McAfee on the Pat McAfee show about Russell Wilson and the idea that joining Sean Peyton's offense, uh, does that mean he has to be Drew Brees? What do you think of Russell Wilson getting hit? I forget the number. There's some stat where Drew Brees never got hit. And Russell Wilson got hit a bunch last year. Now, is that the offense? Is that him not knowing the offense? Is that the offense not being on the same page? Who knows? But everybody just assumes he's going to be Drew Brees. Does that is that is that fair? That seems unfair. I don't no, know. no, not fair. And and that's not who Russell is. Russell Wilson is Russell Wilson. He has his own unique style, just like Drew Brees did. And I think Sean Payton has look. He's coordinator for the Giants. He coached Romo with the Cowboys. He knows how to coach different types. Quarterbacks, he's going to put Russell in the position to be the best Russell can be. He's not going to ask him to be Drew Brees and and do those type of things. And so that's what great coaches do. Uh, and so Russell's going to be more comfortable this year doing some of the things that he used to do in Seattle. You know, Sean Payton's going to put his players in the best position. So that's why I think Russell will be more comfortable. It might not be right away. Like I said, it won't be perfect, I think, in week one against the Raiders, but I see him getting better throughout the season. Okay, we can't wait to watch it. Hopefully that's the case because when Russell's cooking. Man, oh, baby. Huh? It's good. Remember? Yeah, it's real good. Ball goes real high. That's right. Drops right into a bucket. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of fun. It's about, Never won the MVP. Yeah, that last line. Uh, Kind of telling never, Pat McAfee, never, never won the MVP. Never actually never, have, never, has received never a, a vote. vote for MVP. Never got a vote for MVP. Interesting. And I, I know Chris was using the term loosely, uh, as we often do when we talk quarterbacks leading teams to the Super Bowl. Right. Russell Wilson was very, very good as a quarterback oh, in 2013, yes. but he did not lead that team to the Super Bowl. The defense led that team to the right. Super Bowl. And even in the Super Bowl in a 43-8 game, what you remember about that game was how they took the highest scoring offense over a single season in the history of the league and made it disappear. Yeah, literally just vanish. Uh, it, it is obviously going to be a critical, critical year for the Broncos, a critical year for Russell Wilson. Sean, Pay- I mean, uh, look at what the Broncos have coming here. Russell Wilson's comeback tour. Sean Payton's comeback 
tour. The wealthiest owners in the NFL trying to establish themselves as winners and not just wealthy. There's a lot on the line for the Denver Broncos. Want to know what you think? The phone number is 303-831-1340. Call or text and let us know. But it is one part of the, that I look at this, Sandy, and I get concerned about. I mentioned it briefly with Chris Thomason. It is the pass rush. The Broncos' defense is well-regarded. I think you and I have punched some holes in a little bit of that. A little bit. But it's not going to fly in an AFC West unless they can get some sacks. Are we just assuming too much? We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. The Denver Broncos need to generate a pass rush. Defensive coordinator Vance Joseph said that the edge rushing room was the best he's ever been in. Sandy, last year, the Broncos managed 36 sacks. That was in the lower third of the entire league, as you can imagine. The Players who led the team last year, you can notice a pattern. Draymond Jones led the team with six and a half sacks. He's gone. Bradley Chubb was second at five and a half sacks. He's gone. Baron Browning was third with five. He's on the pup list and isn't expected to play in at least the first four. Deshaun Williams had four and a half sacks. He's gone. The Broncos' returning sack leader is Josie Jewell who had two and a half. Now, Frank Clark, added from the Chiefs, did manage five last year. That is twice as much as any of the returning Denver Broncos. I mean, they're returning guys. Josie Jewell had two and a half. Jonathan Cooper had two. DJ Jones had two. Randy Gregory had two. Nick Benito had one and a half. Mike Purcell had one and a half. Kwan Williams had one. Mind you, Kwan Williams is the only member the only member of the Denver Broncos backfield that got a sack last year. That's it. The defensive backfield got one sack from K1 Williams. Didn't bring a lot of blitzes, understandably so. But assuming that this group is going to make a massive leap forward is pretty interesting. Now, again, you know, they, they brought in Clark, who's probably going to really going to play a defensive end. I, I know they call him a linebacker. He's going to play defensive end with a hand down. He had five. Zach Allen had five and a half, which was his career high. So y- you have... He's going to have to do even better than that. Yeah, but that, fi- that five from Clark and five and a half yeah. from Allen yeah. doesn't replace Chubb or Jones. It's still right. a downgrade, right. and it doesn't even touch Deshaun Williams. And you know something? Who, you'd be hard-pressed to tell Broncos fans that to remember, he Neither left. Neither of us thought, and and I like Draymond Jones as a player, but was last year exactly a breakthrough year? And Six and I a remember half. two I years ago, uh, George Payton, in a press conference before training camp began, this is two years ago, mm-hmm. said that, that when he was asked that Draymond Jones is on the verge of having a breakup, year he said well we think he's already had one and it was six and a half sacks in 2020 which 
may have unfortunately been more accurate than George Payton intended it to be. George yeah. Payton's idea was he's already proven he'll only get better from here. Maybe that was the career year uh, for Draymond Jones. And I remember last year, I liked Draymond Jones a lot, as I said. But, you know, by the end of the year, you know, he came on a little bit more at the end of the year. But I thought in September, October, November, he was a non-factor. And Bradley Chubb got traded. And even, you know, with the five and a half sacks he had here, I didn't think Bradley Chubb was all of that. As a, as a pass rusher. So I even think with those two guys, the pass rush was at best mediocre. Yeah. At best mediocre. Oh, certainly. It was bottom third. And and without them, they, they, they don't have anyone who in recent years has been a premier pass rusher. And, you know, when you think of in the last 40 years in the NFL, Prime time sack artists. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think Vaughn Miller qualifies on the uh, Bronco front. Certainly. Uh Demarcus Ware, even late in his career, mm-hmm. when healthy. Yeah, we're talking about Hall of Famers. Right. right. But the best, the ones who had multiple seasons with 15 sacks or more in their first four years. Reggie White went three for four. Nick Bosa, two for four. J.J. Watt, two for four. Richard Dent, two for four. Andre Tippett, two for four. The Broncos don't have a pass rusher anywhere near those five. Certainly not anyone who's ever produced a 15-sack season. Right. And, And maybe Clark got close. At one point, Clark. Yeah, I think Clark, he had double. He digits. had double digits. Yeah, it wasn't. 18, it wasn't fifteen. In yeah. eighteen, mm-hmm. that, that's five years. Five ago. years ago, right? So, and I'm not saying you have to have a Reggie White, a Nick Bosa, JJ Watt, a Richard Dent, and Andre Tippett. Hell, a TJ Watt. Now, <laughs> I, I'm not saying you have to have that, but you, you totaled it up. You know, the front seven. At 18 and a half sacks last year. That's, if, you, if you projected their front seven, and that includes Barron Browning, by the way, yes. if he had yes. been healthy, the Broncos projected what they hoped for for their front seven at 18 and a half sacks. And I guess if you want to call Kwan Williams a starter, I, I I do. I think your nickel corner might as well be considered a starter. Then they had 19 and a half right. sacks in okay. total. But yeah. Kwan Williams is hurt. Baron Browning yeah. is hurt. That's right. Uh, you can get it done to a certain extent by committee, I suppose. The Eagles led the league in sacks last year, although uh, Son Reddick had 16 of them. They had four <laughs> yeah. guys yeah. with uh, yeah. four guys with double-digit sacks. So I guess you can get it done with committee, but the, they're very well, good. I, in the in the Chiefs and case, they lost one of them, Hargrove, right? Who now plays for San Francisco. In the Chiefs case, your point: uh, Chris Jones had 15 and a half sacks in the middle, drawing double teams. Their next was their rookie at the time, George Karloftis, and then Clark. So, I mean, uh, uh, Chris Jones had the lion's share of their sacks. Now, that said, the Chiefs were second in the entire NFL behind the Eagles. Jones had the big number, but Karloftis had six. Clark had five. Uh, Dana had five. Dunlap had four. Saunders and Sneed had three and a half each. Willie Gay had two. So, did they get it done by committee? I I suppose, in a way, and, and if the Broncos can go ahead and get 
performances where you're in the, the, the fives and sixes from the majority of their guys, you could get it done by committee, but somebody, Sandy, somebody on this team has to step up, step up and not just get double digits, but get 12, 13 or more. Doesn't matter who it is, but somebody's going to have to do it. And the truth of the matter is, given their histories, it's probably not Frank Clark and it's probably not Randy Gregory. Which means that, like it or not, the guy that has to blow up on this defense is, is it become a Pro Bowl caliber pass rusher. On the bright side, he might have been the best player they had in camp the majority of the year, and that's Zach Allen. Yes. Oh, I, I thought in camp, you know, not so much in the games because he didn't play that much, but definitely in the practice field, he was a standout every day. I, I mean, there weren't many days. The Broncos weren't great on the practice field every no. day, but he was. He uh, looks he, like he a guy that could could back. get ready, and, and, and it tracks. Look, yeah. he had 13 games in 2020 and had two sacks. He had 20, uh, 15 games 21, he had four sacks. He had 13 games 2022, and it went up to five and a half. The problem is it can't keep going up one or one and a half in a year. Not five and a half needs to double. In fact, I'd probably go as far to say that if Zach Allen can't get to 11 sacks this year, then the Broncos' pass rush is going to be a lower third one again, and that means they're in problems. They're going to have some trouble. I I agree. I agree. And, uh, you know... Listen, through 11 weeks last year, I, I suppose the pass rush wasn't great, and they had a premier defense, but that defense wore down. And one of the reasons it wore down is the pass rush went from a trickle to the faucet being turned all the way off. It, it, I mean, there was nothing. The last five weeks of the year, five to seven weeks of the year, they had no pass rush. Well, it wasn't just, you know, maybe a, a sack or two a game, it, it was nothing down the stretch last year. Um, I, I want to get to a point because we talked about it during the break. And it's, it, it's one more reason, whatever flaws that we occasionally find with Coach Prime up in Boulder, it's a reason really to salute him and listen over the years, I've not been an NCAA basher. But this story just sickens me. And it got some play uh, the other night during North Carolina's opener. Uh, their coach, Mac Brown, had ripped the NCAA for not allowing Tez Walker, wide receiver, to play. Not able to play because the NCAA declared him ineligible to play in their, in their first game. But they... They've been appealing, and they appealed again, and they were hoping that he'd be around or reinstated for maybe the next game. Word comes down today that the NCAA determined not only that Walker won't be playing in the upcoming game or games, but he won't be eligible to play all year. Now, um, we'll get to Dion in a minute, but Walker yeah. and North Carolina have been appealing this ruling uh, 
the NCAA's initial decision was to reject his waiver to play in 2023 as a two-time transfer on multiple grounds. This appeal was leveled. Guess what the first one was? Hmm. Mental health. Right. And Dion complained about an offensive lineman who was also declared eligible on mental health grounds. They were saying, hey, take that into consideration. And CU didn't get a break, and Dion spoke out about it, and so did Mac Brown uh, today. Mental health challenges he has experienced leading to his decision to transfer closer to home and that he never played at his first school, North right. Carolina Central, because its season was canceled as a result of the pandemic. This is why the NCAA, and again, I'm not an NCAA basher. NCAA needs to go Forget away. This. They need to just go NC Central away. and Kent State, where he also attended. Yes. Both filed waivers in support, in support. Oh, yes. of having him be active. Absolutely. His former schools. Bonkers. Like that. I mean, this is a committee of NCAA Division I representatives who heard his case today, and Mac Brown properly. You never play your first school. The mental health issues, yeah. Wants one, he, he needs to move closer so. to home for, for you know. Give me a break. Reasons. And I heard the story. Never even played at the other during, school. You got to be their, kidding me. During, during their game the other night, and they were terrific, and they won their game. And the kid is on the sidelines, obviously in street clothes, and he's cheering his team. It seems like a great kid. And I can't remember the announcers who were doing the game, but they were very much up to speed on this. And again, these announcers. You know, like most college football, they, they don't get into this stuff. They're not into doing what we do and editorializing and making their opinions known. And they were just flabbergasted that the kid wasn't allowed to play in the opener. And it never, it was inconceivable to them that he wouldn't be reinstated at some point this year. And the NCAA comes out today and says, you're ineligible for the entire Season. Stephen Laporta, who's the chair of the NCAA committee on uh, this legislative relief part, said in a statement, the NCAA doesn't comment on specific cases, but went on to say, quote, feel free to chuckle, the NCAA takes student-athlete mental health and well-being seriously. No, they don't. The athletic director of North no, Carolina uh, said this, the NCAA, quote, on eight different occasions had the opportunity to demonstrate it can make sound and reasonable decisions in the interest of student-athletes right. based on individual circumstances. Instead, the NCAA made a maddening, frustrating, and wrong decision for Tez, for college football, and for college athletics. Mac you know Brown, what I, I, I do if I, I were the kid or the school? I'd sue him to kingdom come. Sue the NCAA to kingdom come. Mac Brown. And get a court. How about this quote? I don't to know. To do what the NCAA should do. I don't know that I've ever been more disappointed in a person, a group of people, or in an institution than I am with the NCAA right now. It's clear the NCAA is about process. And it couldn't care less about the young people it's supposed to be supporting. Plain and simple, well, that's the NCAA has failed Tez and his family, and I have lost all faith in its ability to lead and govern our sport. End and, quote. And, and that's Mac Brown, who's been around forever. And it, it, so Mac Brown is in the same corner with with Deion Sanders, and I imagine one or two other coaches who have mental health challenges afflicting at least their one of their player. Yep. And who have also been penalized. Dion noted this a week or so ago when he made this uh, point. He said, I'm not the only one and we're not the only school affected by this. It's just wrong. And he made the same statement, I think, about process. 
being the only thing the NCAA cares about. They don't care about this kid. They don't care about mental health. They care about process. Well, the kid transferred twice. Well, the two schools he transferred, he one didn't he didn't play, play for at. one, and the both of them said, we, we want him to play. We're right. in support of his eligibility to play. And why the NCAA cares about this, the, the NCAA is looking for relevance where it has none, and they think something like this will make them more relevant. It's the, the, the schools together are going to start banding together. and just exactly. They don't need and the NCAA. They're just going to start NCAA. doing their own thing. Maybe you don't even take it to court. Just suit the kid up and play. Let him play. It's coming. Who's going to object? It's coming. It's coming. The NCAA cannot and stop. the NCAA can start and say, well we'll, well, we'll make you forfeit your games. First of all, vacating has always been a joke. A total a joke. joke to me because if a game is played, somebody won and somebody lost. We will get back at it tomorrow. Thanks to Chris Thomason for joining us from the Denver Gazette for the latest on the Broncos. Danny Bailey in the booth making everything work as always. Uh, the Buffaloes take on the Huskers. Speaking of college football, Justin Adams from CBS News Colorado will join us to talk about that. That'll do it for us today, but we'll be back tomorrow. Happy football season. You made it. NFL starts tonight. For Sandy, I'm Sean. Catch you next time right here on Miley Sports.